2: Welcome to the Total Car Score podcast, bringing you the world of cars from inside the car. And now, your hosts, Carl Brower, Lauren Fix, and Javier Mota.
0: Welcome back to the Total Car Score podcast with uh, Lauren Fix and Carl Brower. And uh, last week we were together, and this week we are together via. Internet, <laughs> because we're like back to our own base homes. I'm in Miami. Carl is in L.A. or in Southern California, and Lauren in Buffalo. How are you, Lauren?
2: I'm great. How are you?
0: Excellent. I went to my first car party last night. Can you believe that?
1: I'm jealous. <laughs> Carl, how are you? I'm doing well. I uh, yeah saw you were partying down with uh, all those hip Miami uh, residents like you always do, Javier. Well, it was
0: really funny because, I mean, we're still, I mean, Florida is kind of open, like schools are open and everything is going on, but still a lot of restrictions and like people wearing masks and all that. And this was at a Maserati for Lauderdale little dealership, brand new facility, beautiful. There were not that many people, um, but still it's kind of like interesting to see how people react to all these different things now with mask no mask like shields in front and they were like they were like a little circus they have like performance and everything so i guess
1: we're getting slowly back to normal
2: slowly (laughs) not fast
1: enough yeah well i keep reports that this thing has the same death rate now as the seasonal flu so uh, you keep wondering if we want to keep treating it as more than a seasonal flu if that's what the death rate has dropped to but that's just me
0: I'm with you. Yeah. And the thing is, like, all the unknown, probably. I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's like different opinions, different.
2: Everybody feels differently, you know? And that's that's normal. And that's allowed. That, welcome to America. You can have your own opinion. And nobody's right and nobody's wrong. Enjoy. Exactly. And uh, we
0: are actually, I think, we, the three of us are going to get on a plane again this week, right? Are we going to test drive new cars in Lake Tahoe?
2: Uh, I already test drove the... Ram TRX. And because I got a oh. chance to drive it early, thanks to being at the NACTOY Drive, I posted a brief review and a full review coming soon. So I'm going hit to hit it early. They didn't say there was an embargo. I asked. They said, nope, because they're already you can build them. So... Mine's already posted, and then I'll get a full review later on. And I'm going to drive the Genesis GV80 on Thursday.
0: Well, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the, the RAM? Because I drove it briefly, too, and I don't think we drove it to own potential. So what was your first impression?
2: Well, I didn't get to drive it off-road, but I did get to launch it. So... <laughs> I actually have a cam- camera, like you, we have our GoPros all set up all over the place. Um, I-, I first, it, I got in that thing and I fired it up and there's a button that it says TRX and you press it and it's also got like a launch button button. So when you push the button, it's like ready to go drag racing. And in your head, I've drag raced for years. I know Carl has as well. And you think, okay, what am I going to take? I'm going to take my Challenger, my Mustang, whatever you can transfer weight. This is a lot of weight to transfer. I mean, you're talking about a Hemi engine with 702 horsepower, you know, in a Ram pickup truck, like a Ram, you know, half ton and you're transferring weight. So I just took it out on the street and just put my foot in it. And it sounded amazing. And I will tell you this, if Ford isn't watching, they're foolish. They better put something big in there to compete because although the Raptor is hot, this T Rex or TRX is—they're going to sell them like crazy. I think they said they already sold out on their launch editions, which wouldn't surprise me. It's about hundred grand loaded, and that's every option of the sun.
0: Yeah, and how—I uh, mean, how an amazing job of engineering because as you were saying, I mean the the, the moving pieces that are in that truck and how heavy it is, and all that. I mean, I'm not going to say it feels like a sports car, but it's it's pretty fast. Did you drive it, Carl, there too?
1: I was fortunate enough to get to drive it. And I uh, also talked to the engineer that was uh, on hand at NACDOI Naktoy- Drive last week to let us uh, talk to him. And... He had some interesting things to say, you know, I was like, so you guys just basically used an engine hoist, pulled something out of a Hellcat and dropped it in here, right? That's what we're all supposed to think, you know, just because I know that's not what they did just to see what he said. He's like, no, not quite, you know. And so, yeah, he talked about how, you know, suspension mounting pieces and the suspension itself, of course, and uh, chassis updates and all the the vehicle is heavily, heavily revised and shifted from a standard Ram to deliver the kind of uh, not just acceleration, but the whole structure to be strong enough to handle what that thing can do because remember it's not just about going straight uh and going fast which is all we could really do in the way we were testing it but it's essentially uh, supposed to rival the raptor on you know high-speed desert baja racing and have the advanced suspension to deal with that so it's uh it's quite an engineering marvel really when you look at the whole thing top to bottom
0: do either of you know what are the limits for a street legal vehicle like like that i mean i know it has to comply with all the safety and all the the features like that but is there a limit to how oh, horsepower or anything like
2: that nope as long as it meets the safety ratings according to the department of transportation so look at carl you've got a hellcat right no you've got a demon
1: yeah but be, there better not be a horsepower limit to that thing because it's making uh, 130 less horsepower than my demon makes at 840 so uh and there's you know there's bugattis out there that make you know what is it 1200 or whatever so Right, the Veyron. So there's a lot of powerful cars out there, even more powerful, believe it or not, than this TRX. But I think what we're all... Shocked about, and the world is somewhat shocked about, is that it's that kind of power from a big full-size truck. Uh, you know, we just haven't seen that before. But you know, FCA has been doing this forever. Remember, they remember the Rumble Bee, and then they had the Viper engine. They had the SRT uh, Ram years ago that had the Viper V10 in it that had the same horsepower as the Viper.
2: Even that little red truck back from what like the 80s was that the
1: 76 and 77. And uh, at the time, that's a great reference. The little red Express truck was the quickest zero to 60 and quarter-mile vehicle sold in the U.S. in the mid-70s. This is when, because remember, that was when all the cars were neutered by admissions controls, but trucks, because they were classified as trucks, they didn't have the same level of requirements. So Mopar was like, well, You still put a 360 V8 and a big uh, dual exhaust to stacks on a otherwise uh, standard Dodge Ram truck and uh, make it into a a straight line dragster. And that's what they did. And those were cool. And they're going up in value, of course, like so many things from that era.
0: Well, so we're going, well, I'm going to Lake Tahoe later this week and drive it like, like it deserves to be driven on like really tough conditions, like a lot of their sand dunes and all that kind of thing. So I'm sure it's going to be fun, and uh, we're going to post all the videos and all that stuff later on. Uh, I had another vehicle from the FCA, Fiat Chrysler Group, the Jeep Gladiator with the diesel. I mean, nothing comparable in, in kinds of power and all that, but that that truck, I mean, already really really nice and actually one truck of the year last year but like the diesel engine is, is really fantastic I mean it like gives you a lot of low torque and a lot of I mean a lot of efficiency also but uh and I don't know why other uh, manufacturers are not pushing diesel and FCA or Jeep is because they also have the diesel pretty much the same engine in the ramp right?
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I really liked the eco diesel. I think they did a nice job. And remember this has changed brands. This is a fiat diesel now. So before they were working with international and working with uh was it international? I was at. uh I think it was international, right, Carl? Well there was there's international and then there was Cummings, but I can't remember Cummings, that's what it was. Yeah, they were working with Cummings. But then they dropped Cummings to use their own Fiat engines, and then Nissan picked it up to work with the Titan XD, and then they dropped it. I think it's a fool. It was such a great truck. I mean, if you're looking for a deal on a pickup truck with a diesel, hands down, Titan XD. But because in that sweet spot—a little bit more than a half ton, a little bit less than a three-quarter ton—it was a great truck. But I guess they decided they—they they, maybe they didn't promote it properly in the right circles. But either way looks like they're not going to make them. So if you're looking for one and there's one on the lot somewhere, there's a deal to be had.
0: Yeah, and I guess some consumers are still afraid of all the dieselgate thing. And like, I mean, just like the bad reputation that diesel got with the Volkswagen thing. Uh, what was it, like five years ago already? But people don't 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 forget those things easily, right?
2: No, it's weird because if you ask a total pr- stranger, you go into your grocery store, you ask a friend or a family who's not into the industry like we are, and you go, hey, what do you think about that Volkswagen diesel situation? They'll go like, what what happened? They don't have a clue. It was blasted all over the news. Billions of dollars lost. Lots of people lost jobs. Some people went to prison. And in the end, no one remembers anything. I mean, they can't remember the ignition switch and the airbags. But you know, if you're looking for a deal, again, uh, my girlfriend drove to Chicago from Buffalo to pick up a Jetta diesel wagon, loaded, loaded manual. It's black. It's got every option in the sun. That probably was a forty thousand dollar car she picked it up for 19 so it was a half price and and uh, something to think about you know they are releasing some of them after they've been fixed uh with different software so if you're thinking you like to have something that goes long distances between tank fills, about 700 miles between phillips i mean i have two diesel suvs and i'm not getting rid of them and they were both under the recall but i'm not getting rid of them
0: yeah well for people who want to know more about that there's a an episode on the netflix series dirty money dedicated to that volkswagen scandal so you can i I think it was very interesting because it, it has all the the parties involved like from the authorities in california to volkswagen internally so it's very interesting but uh uh, look for that on netflix it's dirty money and it's the, one of the first episodes i think it's like season one or whatever so very very interesting so we're running out of time on this segment but we're, when we come back we're going to talk about two sports cars one that is already on the market the corvette that had some issues with production and other problems and then we're going to talk to the new uh, about the new lexus i s 350 which is coming out soon mm-hmm. so we'll be back in the total car score podcast with carl power and lauren fix and uh carl um i think you you're gonna give us the whole scoop on the is but before that there were some news about the 2020 corvette like again production problems with that car
1: yeah apparently they were uh, running out of something uh that's used to put the thing together and as everyone always jokes you know the car has 5,000 parts and you get 4,999 of them, you still can't sell the car. You know, it can still uh, be held up because you're only missing one part. So that's why producing automobiles is a lot harder than a lot of people realize. Uh, Getting supplier-based, synchronizing the timing of everything coming in and uh, the Corvette losing production for a week is a good example of that. Something wasn't available, probably related to the past six months of COVID. Something just fell out of supply and they have to wait. And it's interesting because the Corvette has been slowed for you know GM worker strikes back in the fall about a year ago then it was slowed obviously for covid and everything shutting down now it's slowed for this reason and it was really a tough year for the car i mean it was the brand new mid-engine c8 corvette that won north american car of the year last year so lots of excitement lots of energy around the car lots of people wanting one and lots of issues that kept them from being produced at the rate they should have been produced. So that's uh, just another kind of unfortunate mark for the car. And a lot of people want it because it's the first mid-engine car first year. So there's people who want a 2020 and Corvette is extending the production as late as they can. Normally you would not be producing 2020 cars in mid-October. You would be on to the next model year, but they're still producing 2020 Corvettes because of all the people who don't just want a new Corvette. They want the 2020 model year for the first year for the C8.
0: Do you think there's value in that, Lauren, when you have like the first year mid-engine Corvette, uh, like in long term for people who collect cars like you?
2: For me, it would have to be something special, like a launch edition. Uh, I do have a couple first year vehicles like the G- Shelby GT500. I know Carl and I both have GTs, but I think it depends on the vehicle. When you're looking at the Corvette, the Z51 fully loaded, every option, if they offered a launch edition, would be the one to have. Right now, it's, it's a matter of saying, I got one and you don't. Um, getting the convertible, which I just test drove last week, um, was a rarity. For the most part, I tell people, if you're looking at a collectible vehicle, it has to have limited production, has to be hard to get. And it has to have provenance. In other words, it has to have some history, like a Demon or a Ford GT or a Shelby GT500 or even the Ram TRX Launch Edition. That could have resale value. You have to be really careful when you're looking to buy a vehicle that's purely uh, speculation on its value down the road, because a lot of things aren't. And sometimes you think they are, and then they make too many of them, which brands have done, and then they water it down. So I think... We hear rumor there's going to be, you know, a Z, ZR, ZR1. We hear there's going to be uh, a Zora, because the father of the Corvette is Zora, arkus Duntoff. That would be cool. I would be interested in one of those. So as long as it's not a pure plug-in hybrid, I might have it in my garage. I'm always looking for something unique, as I know Carl is, too. Well, they were
0: talking about a hybrid last week, too, that was going to uh, replace the Grand Sport, I believe. Uh, at least that's a rumor. How happened? You heard about that, Carl?
1: Well, I know they made the chassis capable of having an electrification component. So I think it's only a matter of time before we see a electric motor combining with the internal combustion drivetrain on the Corvette. And, uh, you know, it's not uncommon at this point. I mean, it was kind of upper rarefied air where you saw McLaren P1s or Ferrari La Ferraris doing it, you know, million dollar cars, uh, Porsche 918. And now... You see it on the NSX, for instance, a much less, you know, it's $150,000 car instead of a $750,000 car. So will it uh, will it show up on Corvette and try to even undercut the um, NSX's price, do it for between $100,000 and $130,000, $140,000? Corvette's making kind of a claim to fame on just offering so much car for a very small amount of money, relatively speaking. So that would be a good move if they could do it.
0: Yeah, I think uh, for the price point, like what you get in that car, it's really fantastic already. The looks, the engineering, and all that. So uh, really looking forward to see what happens in the next year when they finish uh, or they solve all their problems with production. There was also a little bit of news uh, on social media about, I think the last generation car, right, Lauren? You were telling me about something like some wheels were exploded or some crazy stuff like that.
2: On the 2019 Corvette, there was a there's supposedly a class action lawsuit. I don't know how many people are involved in it, uh, with the rims having cracking issues. Uh, now, then again, you don't know what people do with their cars. I love how everyone. It's easy to blame a brand for a problem when you're finding people, you know, curbing the wheels. Or they're on a racetrack and they're hitting every berm as they're hitting every corner. So we don't know exactly the details. And and I'm not a lawyer and I don't claim to be one or play one on TV. So I always tell people, you know, I take all these things with a grain of salt because every day we watch the news or whatever's on your local TV stations. And like, Are you a victim of fill in the blank? We can help you, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, let's see. But anyway, good entertainment, at least on social media to see that. And uh, the, the big news that is coming up uh, from Lexus, another sports car, a sedan, uh, the Lexus IS 350. This is technically, I think I heard on the presentation, the third generation still for the vehicle, but it's completely different from uh, what they've been doing in the past, right? At least from what we have heard, we haven't driven the car. I don't think you have.
1: It's an interesting uh, approach that Lexus is using for the IS, right? So, on one hand, The car is kind of due for a redesign. My understanding is that the basic platform goes back to 2013. So we're getting into that seven-year age of the platform, which in modern automotive worlds makes it kind of obsolete typically. What's fascinating is that Lexus has this new kind of approach that they're doing, which is they call it LDS Lexus Driving Signature. And it started really aggressively with the LC500 that just came out. Now that car is this kind of very cool-looking two-door either a Cooper convertible that was a concept car came to life and it came out the first year <clears throat> and it was well done. It was a well executed car. There was no one complaining, but then they made the convertible. And in the process of making the convertible, they realized that the bracing for the chassis could be vastly improved. So they went ahead and launched the convertible with that improvement. And then they went back and they put on that same bracing on all the next year coupe models that had already been out. Now normally you would never see that level of kind of chassis you know, kind of structural upgrades to a car one year after it launched, which is a little uh, note for anyone who's shopping LC500. If you see extra special pricing on the first year, you know why. It's not as good a year as far, as far as the platform structure goes. But once they did that, they realized, you know what, we don't have to just do this for our really expensive top-end halo car like the LC500. So what they did with the, the IS350 was the same basic thing. They didn't redesign the car, but they went drastically through its... Tr- chassis and they added high strength steel and they added aluminum and they lightened it and made the chassis stiffer. And then they did the same thing in the suspension components. And then they put on uh, new 19 inch wheels on the F sport version so that the unsprung weight has been dropped both between suspension and wheel upgrades. So essentially it's a, it's like a mid cycle refresh as they call it. Oh, well, this is really late since it's seven years old. It's like a late cycle refresh, but they, they enhanced the, the IS 350 and 300, not just with, like new grills and headlights, which they do all the time. They actually did structural up, updates to the car that were pretty severe, that you would never usually see short of a full redesign. And I think it represents kind of a new approach for Lexus that they really want to try to make all the cars drive well, even ones they aren't going to redesign from the ground up, like the IS. And so I was in it this week, and um, you know, there's two versions: the IS 300 now, the IS 350. The, all the 350s are F Sport. So people who are familiar with the brand know that then there was like this F-Sport version you could put on uh, the IS models and it added, you know, some exterior trim and tried to make it look more sporty inside and out. Now, if you get the 350 version, it's an F-Sport. They're all F-Sports, so they're that version. Um, but 300 is still, you know, kind of standard. Uh, and that one has a base four-cylinder or an optional six-cylinder. And it can have f- uh, rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive, even on that IS 300 version. And then the um, 350 F-Sports, can also have rear or front-wheel drive, and the engine bumps from three, from 260 to 311 horsepower when you go from the 6 with an all-wheel drive version of the IS300 to that same 6 but with substantially more power in the uh, 350 F Sport. So there's a lot of engine choices, there's drive chain choices, uh, there's trim upgrades when you get the F Sport version, it's it's a pretty cool package and how they put it together, and then they made interior updates like a bigger screen. And the most important thing though thing they did though, in my mind, is they made the um, display screen that's in the center touch screen. Anyone who's familiar with Lexus knows you've normally had to deal with that touch pad that's between the seats. A lot of people haven't liked it. You gotta like use it, like your finger like a mouse and move a little bubble around on the screen and then push to make things go off. And a lot of people didn't ever really like that. Well, they have that same system in place on the new IS300 300 and 350. It's the same exact system, but the screen is also a touch screen. So you want to just blow off the whole touchpad between the seats and reach up with your finger. You can interact with the screen just like you would most touch screens. I think that was probably the most important update they did to the whole thing.
2: I agree. I agree.
1: Yeah, it's really funny
0: because really like, I mean, a lot of people just look for the car for what they use the most, in this case, the infotainment system. And that 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 old system that Lexus had really really is bad. But uh, so like changing that little detail might turn a lot of heads. But also, it's a really I mean I, they talk already about pricing. I don't know they sometimes they wait a little bit for that. But it's a really really good deal for like you get a lot of car. Like we were talking about the Corvette, we get a lot of you get a lot of car for uh for uh well i don't know if they announced the pricing or not but i I bet you it's very attractive
1: yeah and they actually dropped the price like the 350 f sport they're all f sports are also less expensive than they were the year before so uh it's thirty nine thousand for the base is 300 and then it goes up to like 42 i think 42.5 and then like 44 depending on which engines you get in it but you know, between like forty-two and forty-four, forty-four, forty-five thousand gets you a fully loaded all-wheel drive, big engine, F-sport version, if that's what you want. And yeah, you're not gonna get that kind of car and that kind of horsepower and those kind of features on a forty-four thousand dollar BMW three series. I can tell you that right now. Uh those you know, you, you gotta spend a lot more money to get the German premium brands, the A4 and the Uh, C-Class. You got to spend big money to get things like the, you know, driver assistance with the lane keeping and the smart cruise control and all that stuff's packaged in by the time you get to like 44, 45,000 on the IS. So yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to make the most of the car and you can see it again, whether it's the updates they did or whether it's the pricing, they haven't redesigned it. A lot of people will pick on them for that reason and say, "Ah, it's still an old chassis. It's an old, old chassis. But if you actually drive it and you look at what you pay, what you get, like you said, Javier, it's pretty compelling.
0: Yeah. And speaking of the German brands, I I also read the news this week that Lexus actually uh, went uh, over Mercedes-Benz and BMW in the luxury segment in Q3, probably also due to, like, constraints in production because of COVID or all that kind of thing. But Lexus is doing a lot of right things, right, Lauren? Like, the the latest models have, I mean, some people might think that the grills are crazy big, but...
2: <laughs> I think so. I think they're just in your face too much. I, and my favorite is also the jumbo logos that everyone has to get bigger than the next person. I don't understand what the winner gets, but if it gets any bigger, it's going to be the size of the whole front end between each headlight. Well, they're
0: doing something right. They're selling more cars. <laughs> that's-
2: right, that's true. And I think one of the smartest things Lexus and the Toyota lineup did was adding Apple CarPlay and Android Auto for the longest time. They said, it's our tune system. It's better. Maybe so, but it's like Betamax. And VHS dating myself here. When one type of system wins, you either have to join them or you can keep fighting them. And it took them a long time to make the transition. And they finally made it on their lineup. And it's like, wow, you're waiting till 2021 on some models. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, I remember he debuted on the ES a couple of years ago. And I was on the first drive of that car. I think it was in Tennessee somewhere. And I was driving with, um, I'm forgetting his name, so I, I, I excuse myself for that. But he's the Lexus enthusiast. Like, he's, like, on YouTube and, like, all social media. And he was so amazed because that's the only cars he drives. Only he drives Lexus. So he has never experienced Apple CarPlay. He was, like, uh-huh. like he had discovered, I don't know, like, color TV or something, like, from, like, ages ago. And like, you went, wow, this is super cool. But amazing. yeah, Apple CarPlay is cool in any car.
2: It's amazing because once you use it, it's so intuitive because if you use your phone, either, either format, uh, I think what 62% of people have iPhones and now we got the new iPhone coming out, you know, this past Tuesday, uh, the, the 13th. So once iPhone 12 comes out with the new 5G, everyone's going to want to transition to that. And I think there's going to be some big changes and in in the intuitiveness of that makes consumers want those kind of vehicles. So for Lexus to have missed the boat for so long, it had to have impacted their sales.
0: Yeah, and also it's gonna be really cool because now it's wireless connection, so it's gonna be fantastic.
2: Yeah. And if you don't have that now, now you're the one that's left behind. And there are some brands that don't have it. And we've all asked and I can't believe you don't have that. Everybody has that. So you don't want to be the person left behind. You want to be the one to blaze the trail.
0: Okay, Lauren, I'm going to tell you something I don't have here in Miami, which is cold weather. And I think on the third segment, you're going to teach us a little bit about that, even though it doesn't apply to me. So when we come back, we'll talk about that.
2: Well, it might. You do. You do get cold days. You do have black ice at times and you do get frost. Yeah, like two hours in January. <laughs> ah, well, then you got to stay home, right? <laughs> we'll be back.
0: Here we are back in the last segment of this week's episode on a Total Car Score podcast. And uh, Lauren and Carl, I think you, uh, it applies to you too because in California, there are spots where you have like really winter weather we've done in Miami. And actually, I received today, this morning, an email from Goodyear offering me a set of winter tires (laughs) to put in a car and try and drive them here in Miami. But like, I don't know what to answer. Maybe I'm going to say, okay, send one to Buffalo, I'll go and drive with Lauren and one to California and I drive with Carl over there, something like that.
2: Yeah, send me some Bridgestone Blizzacks. I'll take those. They're one of my favorite tires. Uh, You know, I, I think when it comes to winter, I mean, I'm from Michigan. And I live in Buffalo. Now, Carl, where are you from and and where do you live now? I grew up in
1: Golden, Colorado, right at the base of the Rockies. So uh, both of us have experienced plenty of winter. (laughs) Yeah. And you live now in L.A., though. Now I'm in L.A. I guess I just have to think about it when uh, I talk to my parents back there. But, yeah, no winter out here.
0: I don't have any extended experience driving in the winter uh, before COVID. Obviously, I will go to Chile every August in our summer, their winter. Uh, to go skiing and drive around so that's my limited experience i've been doing it for like 20 years but obviously like a week 10 days out of the year so i don't really have a lot of experience Uh, but as you were saying lauren there it's not only the snow or the ice there can be other conditions on the road that will affect with uh, the change of temperatures, right?
2: Right. I always tell people every six months, it's a great chance to look at your vehicle. If your car has been sitting, same thing. And remember the number one thing people forget is, oh, I'll just change my oil. Well, you don't change your oil based on time. You do it based on mileage. I have a vehicle that's a 2013 that has 6,000 miles on it because we drive so many other cars, I don't get to drive my own. So what's on its second oil change only because I had the break in oil it. and it's a performance car. But for most vehicles at 6,000 miles, you're not even in the window for an oil change. So these are things that you need to think about, you know, what needs to be done. There are nine fluids in a car. In some cases, there's more, uh, depending upon whether you have a hydraulic clutch or you have some of these new uh, hybrids that have all kinds of cooling fluids in it. So these are things that people don't think about, but I always tell people no matter what you're driving, like you were saying, Javier, tires are important. And there's only four things that touch the ground and that is called the tires. And the part that it touches the ground is called a contact patch. So it's really important to know that's only about the size of your fist. Maybe not my fist, it's a little small, but uh, but think about it. It's no bigger than a dinner plate or a small lunch plate. So with that in mind, checking your tire pressure once a month, use the number inside your driver's door is critical. Uh, that is the correct tire pressure for your car and i always tell people never ever 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 and i'll say it enough times Use the number on the tire because that tire could fit a dozen different vehicles and they're all different. So you could have a Honda Civic that's one trim level another one's another trim level and they could have different tire pressures. So don't make an assumption when it comes to that if you want the longest life, the best fuel economy and tires aren't low priced anymore. I mean, you used to be able to pick up tires for 50 bucks. You can't get a tire for $50 unless you want a $50 tire that will probably find you in a ditch. So keep in mind that a good tire, especially a run flat, is not going to be low cost. Get the most out of it. Rotate your tires. And of course make sure to check your tire pressure. And again, fuel economy, traction, braking are all critical factors that come with that.
0: I saw I saw a posting from one of my friends here in Miami. She just bought a Mini Cooper with round flat tires. And the only thing she didn't buy insurance for was for the tires. And in the within the first week, one of them was completely destroyed. And now she has to pay I think it's like three hundred fifty dollars for it. So Yeah.
2: Well, chop around when it comes to tires. I mean, tire racks always got great prices, but I will tell you this. Every single Mini Cooper from 2002 to today, and I've had about probably a half a dozen of them or more, my kids each have one now, are all run flats. That's the only thing they have. They've never had a spare because a lot of manufacturers are pulling spares because it's weight. And that means it takes more energy to push the vehicle to get going, which means you have less fuel economy. So they're cutting corners to make those corporate average fuel economy numbers. But keep in mind also, there's if you don't want to do the work yourself, that's fine. There's a million places to go. You can go to Pep Boys. They're all across the country. Call your favorite ASE certified mechanic. And if you don't know what you're doing, this is not the time to try to learn. I used to I used to work in a mail order parts place for years. And I always told people that the tool police are going to come and take away your tools. Because there are people that try to like put on brake systems. And I'm like, you have no idea what you're doing. This is like folding parachutes. This is the only thing that stops your car. If you don't know what you're doing, don't do it find someone to help you teach you. That's fine. But once, if you do it yourself and you're mechanically inclined, it's, it's really a good feeling to know I did this. And I know Carl's mechanical. I know, I know you your own work, but it's funny when, when you do and you walk away going, I did it and you did it right. It's it's very satisfying, uh, but if you do it wrong, it's very it really destroys you. And having to take it to someone else to fix your mistakes can probably cost you more than you plan.
0: Yeah, and Carl, another thing that people, most people, don't know about tires that they expire. They have expiration dates, and like for example, in California where you are, the car culture is so. So uh, big. Uh, most people, some people who have a lot of cars, have cars sitting there for maybe months, years without moving it, and, and they don't know that the tire. They, they might know, maybe if they're collectors, but some people might not know. The tires actually
1: expire, even if they're not moving, right? Yeah, and it's even worse if they're in the sunlight because the um, UV rays, rays, just like they will on any kind of rubber will dry out and kind of change the composition of the tires even more quickly than just the date on the tire says. So, um, but that's really it, you know, it's the, it's the passing of time and tires, you know, on some level, they're kind of like, they're kind of like food, right? They've got like, you know, a bunch of different components inside them and they just start to age and go bad over time. And it's like you said, probably four to six years is the longest you should ever have any Tire from the time it was originally made, and you know, vulcanized, and all the treatments they do to bring all that rubber and, and steel belts together, until those, those the strength of the tire is starting to probably compromise because of age. And again, if it sits in a, a dry environment or a hot, sunny environment, I mean, you take tires out to the desert and you leave them out in the sun, and they're brand new. I wouldn't want to be on tires sitting outside in, in the you know hundred plus degree uh, ultraviolet ray conditions. After probably a couple of months, it'd be like, yeah, those tires are probably already fried. So that's something to keep in mind. If you've, if you've got them on your car and you haven't thought about them for years, you should actually look at the date and potentially change them, even if the f- tread wear looks fine.
2: Well, you know, one of the only caveats I'm going to tell you is, is that uh, as a person who collects cars, older cars from the 60s, uh, if I can find an original blue dot tire from a 65 Shelby, I'm putting it on my car. It'll be for show. It won't be what I'll move it on. But I also don't put these cars in the track or drive them on the street. They're mostly trailer queens. But show cars or like you go to a museum, those tires will be on for a long time. They're not meant to be driven other than, you know, around the museum because that's the way they were in their original and they're hard to find them. There are some replacement tire companies that make make them, but uh, like Coker Tire, but they don't make everything. So if you're building a collector car, it's the only exception. But if it's a daily d- driver, a, a raced car tire, we don't keep them long. We dispose of them. And what they're doing with them is they're no longer made of rubber. People think, oh, it's our rubber tree. It isn't. Believe it or not, most of it is fossil fuels. There's a lot of petroleum in there. And so when you're saying you're going to eliminate fossil fuels, well, then you're going to eliminate tires because there's a lot of fossil fuels and, and very little rubber these days. Um, I know that Michelin at one point had put sunflower oil in their tires because they were trying to stay away from the fossil fuels. And it, it was OK for a daily driver. But a performance tire is going to require a combination of chemicals of which most of it is fossil fuel.
0: Anyway, according to some people, we are going to only have like flying autonomous electric cars in the- the future. So who's going to need tires for that?
2: Sure. They still got to land something and we're not the Jetsons. Okay. So now from a reality check standpoint, what they're doing is they're recycling these tires. They're putting them into roadways. The tire shredding business is huge right now. Uh, They're putting them into other, other things that you can reuse. But you know, when you're looking at your vehicle yourself and getting it prepared for the fall, carry an emergency kit And if you're going into the cold climates for the holidays, maybe Carl's going to drive from California to Colorado to see his family. You know, obviously you toss in your emergency kit, you know, a hat, gloves, boots, hand warmers, snow brush, ice scraper. You put those extra things in and I I have it on my website at Car Coach Reports, all the list of, you know, a perfect emergency kit. But I always tell people you have to be car care aware because if you take care of your car, you can save up to $1,200 a year by just doing the basic maintenance required in your service schedule. If you ignore it the bill will be more
0: well we're coming to the end so i want to finish with a question for both of you if i get a set of winter tires to go again to california and uh, buffalo what are you going to put them on carl for me to drive
1: uh i would probably put those on my uh kia soul because that's like the car i would drive in bad weather you know i can't drive the demon on its drag radials and and snow tires would be (laughs) would be a bad idea on that car you'd end up with uh even less traction uh and more traction traction challenges than it's already got with drag radials so um and the demon uh, or sorry the four gt same thing but wire you don't want to be going over snow that's plowing up because the car sits low to the ground but uh the kia soul would be perfect as a front wheel drive uh you know high high capacity i love the car's shape it's all very utilitarian and then put in some good uh, blizz like lauren was saying and you could probably go anywhere people by the way i grew up driving rear drive muscle cars in colorado with no traction, no stability control, no ABS, and usually all season uh, Goodyear radial uh, TAs.
2: I did that too, in a Camaro, 76 Camaro with a 305. And yes, I was in the ditch a couple times.
1: Yeah, but neither of us, we're both still alive. Yes. You know, these, there's these people where it's like, no, man, unless I have like all-wheel drive and snow tires, I'm not leaving the house, you know? And it's like, well, okay. Have fun. I'm just I just know how to be careful on snow, you know? It's just, you, you drive differently on snow than when you're not on snow and you'd be surprised. True. So, like, just having front-wheel drive where the engine weight's over the front, to me, that's like, okay, I just got the ultimate snow car. Give me a front-wheel drive car with all seasons and I'm good to go. I will drive through any kind of weather condition. I do not need all-wheel drive. I do not need crazy BlizzX. Uh, because Oh yeah.
2: Yes, you do. They're the best tires.
1: <laughs> okay, Lauren, tell me why will you put me on there?
2: I put it on my vehicle, which is a 2016 Porsche Cayenne diesel, the last of the diesels, and I will not sell that vehicle. It is all wheel drive, it is diesel, and when you put snow tire, it'll it'll climb a tree as it is because of the torque that you get you put snow tires on it and they sometimes don't get to my roadway here in buffalo i'm in a, a deep into a subdevelopment, but when i gotta go to work or get to the airport all i use is the mailbox as guideposts and i just put my foot in it and there's a rooster tail out the back with my <laughs> snow tires and i and i can get anywhere i've been through blizzards When everyone says oh you can't get anywhere oh yeah i can
0: well if uh i'm gonna work on that and like, see what happens so thank you for listening and uh we'll uh talk to you next week thank you Thank you for listening. For more,
2: check us out online at TotalCarscore.com. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw.
0: Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.